0: Grief, anxiety, loss, and resilience are all topics you'll find here. So grab a cup of coffee and settle in because you're listening to the Strategy Hour podcast brought to you by Boss Project. We are in the middle of the fastest moving technology shift in our lifetime. And for the majority of us listening, we live through the birth of the internet. So that's definitely saying something. Here's the good news. It's good news. Truly, I have so much to fill you in on. Join me for my upcoming workshop, The Market Shift. It's so crucial to online businesses that I'm offering it completely for free. No strings attached, just pure actionable insights that will help you navigate the coming changes. But that's not all. If you attend live and stay until the end, you'll get exclusive access to my brand new mini course, The Two Click Funnel. Absolutely free. Inside, I'm giving you the exact automation funnel I'm running that consistently converts organic traffic into loyal buyers in minutes. Join me and prepare your business for the future. Go to bossproject.com slash shift to register now. If you're hearing this, there's still time. Don't miss out. Bossproject.com slash shift.
1: In your opinion, is it cute or icky or indifferent for people to wear collegiate merch of colleges that they did not go to?
0: I have nuances to the answer to this question. Mm-hmm. So if you are a high schooler and you haven't decided where you're going, I think it totally makes, or even younger than that, if you haven't decided where you're going, I think it totally makes sense to have, you know, garb from various universities that you're interested in. Beyond that, if you are supporting their athletics I think it makes sense to have you know garb from a place that you did not attend if you're a fan but if you just want to look like you attended and you did not I think that's yeah, a little not weird. even that you trying to look like you attended but
1: that like you like collegiate wear and you're wearing it
0: mm, I think it's fine have I done it I used to have a Harvard shirt that I liked but like I don't know. I just think it's a little strange, especially when education is so tied to career and stuff like that. I don't know. I'm not against it. I just probably wouldn't do it myself. Sure,
1: sure. Well, we're going to Palo Alto this weekend for a wedding for my friend, and right we're staying in downtown Palo Alto, and right across the street is Stanford, and we're definitely going over to the campus to like take a look around, because it's going to be beautiful, whatever. I am merch girly. I'm team merch, love the merch. I will buy the airport t-shirt. I will buy the gas station t-shirt. I will buy the, we're at a cute coffee shop, and you have a tote bag that's branded, and I visited here.
0: Well, I am all about the visit shirts, but usually by city, but not by college. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I'm doing both. So I am just in
1: the camp of like, if you like it and it's cute, fucking wear it. And I feel like, so I got into, it was not a heated debate at all, but I got into a bait with someone on Instagram recently who she loves collegiate wear. So she has like NYU, Stanford, Harvard, all of those. Cause she just like loves the vintagey feel of those things. She has the hoodies and the t-shirts and whatever, and she wears them often. She has enough of a falling where people have like reached out and been like, oh my gosh, did you go there? I went there whatever. And she's always like being like, no, no, no. I just love them. Blah, blah, blah. She's also very musically inclined. Like she just like has an ear for songs, love songs. She makes like playlists for people. It's super great. And in her opinion, she doesn't like, if you don't know enough about the band or the artist or enough about their songs or lyrics that you should not wear artists, like band t-shirts. So she had this like poll where it was like, are you team collegiate? If you never went there, yes or no. Are you team band? If you aren't that familiar with them, yes or no. And so I responded because I was just like, I'm just going to give my like real quick opinion on this, or at least how it's presenting. And it 100% feels mansplainy to me and gatekeepy to me. And there are lots of like, specifically bands, like there are lots of bands that I know that there is some song out there that I like of theirs, couldn't tell you what it's called because I cannot, for the life of me, remember the names of songs. Could not probably sing it to you on a whim because I'm not musically inclined, but if it's a cute t-shirt, I'm going to wear it. And so I like reached out and told her, I was like, it just feels kind of like you're like gatekeeping literal art. And like, that doesn't feel great. And she was like, oh, like that actually makes a lot of sense. Like if you want to wear collegiate wear, wear it. If you want to wear band gear and you couldn't even name me one song that they sing, but you like, at least I've heard of them, wear it. And
0: I was like, I just like, why are we policing what other people wear? Oh, I'm not. not You are. That's Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm not. Yeah. I don't think we should please what anyone wears, period, end of story. For me personally, it's interesting though, because same rule applies for other things. So like, I don't wear band t-shirts if I don't listen to their music. I don't wear any collegiate wear at this point, like except for my alma mater. And it's by choice. Like, it's not like I'm like, Oh, no, we can't do that. Right, right, I right. just I I'm like, if it's going to be on my body, I want to like, know the background. And I do think part of it is there was this interesting conversation. I think I was having it with you. Were we ha- was I having it with you? Were we talking about was it on the podcast? Now I'm going to feel really dumb about artists. And if the artist had a background, like, will they be remembered more? Yeah, art- it was me. I don't know if it was on the show or not. Would they be remembered more for their art or for their, uh, like, what they've done in the world, good, bad, or indifferent? And I don't know. I just think there's enough sticking points of those things out in the world. I want to be very sure of the things I have on my (laughs) body that are publicly portraying other things just because I don't want to get caught in the middle of stuff. But I think that's because I'm a risk averse person and I get nervous about stupid shit. Sure, sure, sure. Well, I'm excited for all
1: my collegiate merch that I'm getting. Yeah, do it. And I'm probably going to get so like. So,
0: what's in. I should know this. What university is there?
1: It's Stanford.
0: Mm, mm-hmm, That's where mm-hmm. we're going. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So, the bride, my friend, went to UCLA, but she works at Stanford now, which is just funny. But Stanford is like literally walking distance from downtown Palo Alto. And it's, I've heard it's a stunning campus. And so. Oh, I'm
0: sure it's beautiful. Yeah, it's
1: a really pretty part of town. So, we're going to. We're, they moved our flight to, we literally depart MCI at 5.30 in the morning. Depart. Our plane is taking off at 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> That's not the time we picked. They changed our flight. And I'm like, huh. so we get in at 10 a.m. And we obviously can't check in to like three. And so we'll probably just give the hotel our luggage and then walk over to Stanford and find a cute coffee shop and all that good stuff. But I'm like, holy moly, I'm going to need a nap because the bride is doing, it's my friend Maddie. Which I just don't keep calling her the bride. There's a lot of friends coming in from other cities and towns and places. And so after rehearsal dinner on Friday, they're opening it up to whoever's in town and wants to grab a drink. They're going to be at this place. So come hang out and then saturday's the wedding and it ends around like 10 p.m. and then they rented a place for like an after party that she goes it's part club, part beer garden. And so you can like pick your vibe. But it's like in downtown Palo Alto. And so I'm like, what's a club like in downtown Palo Alto? <laughs> but if you do not know wedding version of Emily and especially wedding version of Emily and Brian we turn up at some weddings. And so I am so ready. And this is not the first after party that we've been a part of at a wedding. And so I'm really excited. And I'm ready to dance and do all the things. Oh my
0: goodness. Dead. Yeah. Speaking of dead. Okay. So we're talking about ghosting today, specifically what to do when clients or when prospects ghost you. But before we get into that, I have this anecdote about dead (laughs) and I just literally lost my mind last night when I heard this okay so you know how the dead emoji is a skull and there's two bones crossed at the bottom never once in my life never once did it dawn on me that the reason there's crossbones is because of the way they lay your body in a casket yeah it's like this why did I never once even thought I was like, why is there crossed bones at the bottom? I don't know. I just assumed that's how it always is. But like, I didn't realize there was a meaning behind it. And I felt really stupid. And then the follow up to that was like, why do they portray ghosts the way they do? And it's because of what they wrap dead bodies and and they came back to life. So I just felt really dumb. And so for those of you who you wrap bodies in sheets and so you raised from the dead and you've got this sheet draped over yeah. you. So for those Whoa. of you who've never psychoanalyzed your emojis before and just, you know, accepted them as fact for whatever reason. I thought you'd appreciate that little anecdote before we talk about the kinds of ghosts that you really do want to avoid. Yeah, we do want to avoid (laughs) these ghosts. And y'all know that
1: the art in closing a prospect is in the follow-up. And I know a lot of us struggle with that follow-up. And so hopefully today's episode gets you some examples of what you could say, how you could do it, on what time, what schedule, all of the things so you can be equipped to follow up and close those leads. And if you want to follow along in our show notes, don't forget that you can head over to bossproject.com. Okay, let's talk about the art of the follow up. And what I mean by that is, you pitched your service. And now your potential client is either ghosting you being passive aggressive, or fighting against the process that you want to put them through. And you're like, WTF? How do I handle this? What do I say? What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> all three of those things have happened
0: in the last like seven days. <laughs> Absolutely. And not yeah, all of and our own clients. Yeah, not necessarily to just us, but for sure, it can be a weird experience. And, you know, in a more ideal world, people seamlessly move through your sales process. They become a lead. You have a discovery call. You have a pitch meeting, and they're immediately excited and they're like, yeah, where do I sign? And then they pay so you. me. <laughs> and, you know, It does happen. Like, I don't want you to assume that this is like a rare occasion. I would say, I don't know, 30 to 50% of the people that will convert do tend to convert really easily without a lot of resistance, without a lot of follow up questions. Now, the other peeps either have a laundry list of random objections that you have to work through. Or in a lot of cases, I find it's different. Selling different things results in different reactions, I've found. And when I've been selling coaching or courses, people tend to share their objections more openly with me. But when we get into selling services, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the fact that it's via email and a different communication channel or what, but people tend to just not respond instead of sharing why they're not getting back to you. And that can be so frustrating.
1: We've had one person recently who did convert. And when she sent over a laundry list of questions, I just voice messaged her on Instagram. I found her on Instagram. We had that kind of relationship though. Like it might not make sense for all of you, but I was like, I think this can get nailed down in a couple one minute messages back and forth on Instagram rather than trying to formulate this response in an email. And sure enough, like it took the like kind of dillying and like really questioning and wondering which way she should go to within an afternoon. She was confident in the direction she wanted to go.
0: Yeah. And part of that's just sometimes people just need to simply hear your tone. And so sometimes for the follow up, I've suggested either we send the voice notes immediately. Sometimes I've sent them like recorded a boxer note and included it in an email. I've recorded a loom so someone could see my face. I've also reached out to them on an alternative platform like Emily's saying and DM them a voice note on Instagram or Facebook. But sometimes depending on the level of How much follow-up is really needed here? I've even suggested another meeting, which can feel counterintuitive. Like, Why would I waste my time on another meeting when they're just slow to respond in the first place? And, And so often you can get through what could have been seven back and forth emails in one 20 or 30 minute phone call. And you end up saving yourself a lot of time and it doesn't necessarily feel like it immediately. In that moment, right. But when someone signs a $30,000 contract, you're like, But to me, I'm also like, okay, we
1: could honestly start this conversation with the reminder that like, if you're in a service-based business and you're not prioritizing serving the way that your clients need to be served, then you're doing it wrong. This isn't a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, let's get in as many people, fast and furious, like whatever. That's not what you're building. It just isn't. No, it's not. I know it's really easy to be like, Intrigued by the marketing tactics of the one to many model that's been yeah. popularized. So the that's, last, not, that's, that's not, those strategies
0: don't work here. It's not and, what you're doing. And I think part of it is that people assume the follow up. Can be done in some sort of mass effort. Like I've had clients ask me, Oh, well, I have like five people that I need to follow up with. And I'm planning on sending a newsletter to everyone who's on my no. list anyway. And I was like, I'm not saying don't send the newsletter, but these potential clients are not gonna see that as you following up with as you speaking all. to them
1: about hey, can we make a decision about what it you're is
0: not personal at all? And so the sales process when you're Selling services when you are serving people needs to be personal. And so often I find that the follow-up, the reason it's falling on deaf ears and like you're not hearing any kind of response is because you're not humanizing the person on the other end. Well, and you're just abandoning
1: them. Like think about all the work and communication that you've had with this person leading up to this point. And then you do the pitch, you send your proposal, you show them the price, you show them the contract, whatever it is. And then you just leave to let them be to their own devices simmer on their own. Instead of guiding them through that process. I know it's, can be awkward to talk about price in person even virtual with this potential client we guide our own clients through this skill of laying it kind of all out on the table of showcasing what the project is going to be what the timeline is going to be what the results are going to be and what the price is going to be and what our next steps that that person can take to get started we do all of that in person. Sometimes it's over zoom, but like it's live in person in the digital flesh sometimes. And that part of the process is us showing up for them, even in this part that can be like, Oh, like, this is a lot, this is a lot of information to take in, instead of the truly typical route is to like, maybe you don't even have the pitch together in person or virtual. You send them a proposal that they're just supposed to go through on their own and look at the price on their own and deal with any questions that they have on their own. And that
0: doesn't feel good to me. I'm interrupting myself to bring you something that could change your business forever. I'm hosting a workshop that's so important. I've made it 100% free for all online businesses. Here's what I can promise you. Inside the market shift, you're going to get the most value-packed 90 minutes you've seen in years. I'm going to share the ecosystem that represents online businesses today. You're going to walk away knowing how to create more predictable income and sustainably scale, regardless of where you're starting today. You'll uncover the AI secrets top entrepreneurs use to stay ahead, boost productivity, and secure their future. You'll have the exact equation that's making wealthy people wealthier and be able to steal, copy, paste it before it widens the wealth gap any further. When you attend live and stay until the end, you'll get access to my exclusive brand new mini course, the two-click funnel, absolutely free. Inside, I'm giving you the exact automation funnel I've been running that consistently converts organic traffic into loyal buyers in minutes. Save your seat right now at bossproject.com shift. Then share it with a friend. There isn't much time between now and the workshop. So head right now to bossproject.com shift to claim your spot. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. I love that Indeed makes it easy to hire because I'm busy enough already. We've had to weed through hundreds of applications in the past. We could have saved so much time if we'd used Indeed. Well, it also doesn't match the service that you're saying they're going to get on the other end. If you're just emailing them, they're going to assume that a lot of the service is self-guided. And if that's not true, if you are really truly serving and guiding them through every step of the process on once they are your client, then you need to be treating them as if they already are from the beginning. And so much of this is when you are talking about the art of follow-up, assuming they've already said yes at every stroke is so incredibly important. Even when they're kind of telling you no, because often them telling you no is coming from an outside source that's affecting them, not necessarily them not wanting to work with you. Because usually usually if someone got all the way to the pitch, there is a desire. There is something they're searching for and they did see something in you about moving forward. Now, occasionally them not moving forward is because there's some aspect of what you offer that's out of alignment with what they thought they needed. That's its own issue. If, if you have instead figured out that what you've presented is truly what they need, usually the objection is something they feel lack of control over. And it's it could be cash flow, it could be lack of their own clientele. It could be the suggested timeline for them to see it could be when they're starting and what else they have going on in their life. It could be Outside obligations. It could be a health concern of their own or of a close family member. It could be that their life was one way and there was a sudden event that changed their life. And even regardless of how dramatic that sounds, it could be a very small thing, but it could completely set them off course and they feel out of it. And thus, like things that happened prior to that event are now less important for whatever reason. And you never really know what's going to come up. And people will react in strange ways. Like some people will not respond to you via email, but continue to interact with your social media accounts. And you're like, just answer my question. I sent you an email. So let's talk about there are kind of two
1: areas of this conversation I want to have. One, I want to focus on what does actual follow-up mean? How do we tackle that? What do we suggest? And then I want to go into a real client example that was just brought up this week in our group of like when a client is resistant to the process, how do you kind of handle that? So when we talk about the art of the follow-up, Again, kind of going back to like it feels like you kind of just abandoned people at the pitch, especially if you're just emailing the proposal. If you are not walking them through the proposal by either recording a video of yourself walking through it and sending it to them, that's like the minimum, or having a Zoom call with them and walking them through it. Or meeting them in person at coffee, lunch, their office, and walking them through it. If you're not doing those three things, I really want to address that part of your process first to see what makes sense for your client, your
0: You may need far less follow-up if you just start pitching directly. Everyone thinks they have to focus
1: on the follow-up. And I want to focus first, is the pitch actually sound? So we're going to do that first. But then if we're like, you're delivering it in person, they love it. They're vibing. They're feeling good. And they just don't like sign the contract that day. What do you do? And honestly, like as much as you don't want to hear this, I want you to think about what does this potential client need from you? How can you be a human to human connection with them? That right there will guide what you say in your reach out, what channel you reach out on, how soon and how often you reach out. There is not a like, Every 76 and a half hours, you send
0: this telegram that said, that's not how this works. Yeah, because I've been sitting here racking my brain trying to think of a follow up schedule that makes sense for the majority. And it really, as much as I hate to say it, it so it depends. depends. <laughs> it so depends. Mm-hmm. You know, I think some things you can be doing consistently every single time is one, you actually pitch. To a live human, whether Please that's virtually that. or in person. And then when you're wrapping up that call, give them clear guidance on what your expectations are of them. With a date. With a date. So, hey, immediately following this presentation, I'm going to send you an email that includes a copy of your contract and your initial deposit, I would like you to review those things and I am currently booking for this date. Your potential start date is X. I need you to sign and pay your initial deposit by Mm -hmm. to secure Mm -hmm. your start date of the thing we just Mm -hmm. talked about.
1: Mm -hmm. If you have any follow-up questions, be sure to email me by end of day blank so
0: we can get those wrapped up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's so much of it is just giving clear guidance on when you expect to hear. And when you do that, people tend to be much better about actually responding. Um, Um, People don't want to let people down. And people like being told what to do. People like being given boundaries and structure. and And that's part of it. And part of it is like the timeline you give is variant on the level of decision this is for them. Like if this is a quick decision that doesn't have a ton of financial risk for them, then you may only give them 24 or 48 hours. But if this is like a a massive decision for their Happy business, project. yeah, then you need to respect that it might take some time. Yeah. The thing that I will ask you to be firm on if this is the case,
1: and we've had this happen recently, if the client is coming to you and the project has some sort of rush timeline, whatever, for whatever reason, if it's in your capability of even saying yes to this project, don't say yes, just because you want to. But if there's an actual like, if you do not pay by this date, we cannot do this project, you have to be even more loud about that. And like, it's okay to be very firm about that. If there are other deadlines you're giving where like, it's kind of arbitrary, you can kind of, again, depending on the vibe of the client, be like, here's the date that I would love to hear by. If you need a little bit of an extension, we can talk through that, but I am booking like for this month or I'm booked until this time. And so you need to give me this answer if you want to hold your spot.
0: Yeah. And we've absolutely used both scenarios where one person had something that was coming up. And if we didn't get started we've had two projects like this and we didn't immediately get started. Yeah. Like it wasn't going to happen. It wasn't going to happen. And so, you know, starting a couple weeks later, we wouldn't have been supporting the thing that they needed the help for, which is why they had reached out. And so we had to be very explicit that like, you can't keep thinking about this. Like you need to decide <laughs> yeah. because it puts your project at risk and, and yeah. what we can actually do and what we can actually deliver. But yeah, adding that flexibility on things that are flexible again humanizes the process. Like, hey, if you need a couple additional days, totally get it. Just let me know by X. Right. Like, still right. giving still them a deadline. A, still yeah. let, giving them a clear understanding of when you expect to hear from yeah. them. Now, one of my favorite
1: tactics that we utilize that you wouldn't think is as effective as it is, and we'll never truly know the measurement of this thing, but I like to believe it works. It's the, I've done what I can do. I've presented the picture in person. I gave a follow-up. I gave a deadline. And you maybe haven't reached your deadline yet, but like I haven't heard any questions from you. I'm not really sure where we are. I'm going to go watch your Instagram stories. I'm going to go like your latest Facebook posts. I'm going to comment on this thing over here so that you effective.
0: just posted. So not effective. about work, just so, about the thing that you said. So effective. So the, effective. the amount of time I've gone and like, oh my God, your kid's so cute. Or like, love. Or, oh my this. gosh, first day of kindergarten. How exciting. Yay, congrats. Mm-hmm. And then I get an email 20 minutes later. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. It is so effective. Yep. Because all it does, I mean, it does two
1: things. It's again, you're a human and you actually care about them as a person. Because remember, we're doing this. You to actually should add, what care. you're saying should sound
0: like something you actually right. would say right. to them.
1: Right. Don't be fake about this. Right. So it's showing that you care and there's a human to human connection. And it's literally just putting that very chill, no pressure bug in their ear that you exist and that they need to wrap up, that they need to close the loop on whatever is open right now. Yeah. And that's it. That's like, it. That's it. Now,
0: occasionally there is the case of the disappearing prospect. <laughs> yeah, and you, you know they're around. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is like, not only are they ghosting you, but usually it's also associated with they've gone dark everywhere. Oh yeah, yeah. We're yeah. like, the, are you alive? The hello? <laughs> like you feel like you're speaking to a avoid. Like there's no Instagram stories. There's no posts. They haven't posted recently on Facebook. And the thing that makes this a little more difficult, I will say is in the last 18 months or so, the frequency of which people make personal posts on any platform has gone down significantly. There was so many people, even who wouldn't claim they were any sort of influencer, who got in the habit of documenting every aspect of their life and sharing all their thoughts and feelings online. And, and that has gone down. And so part of it is you're maybe searching to go comment on their latest thing. And you realize the last thing they posted was before the last time you talked. And you don't really have anything you can tangibly hold on to there. And so this is where we use, for lack of a better term, kind of that wellness check-in where you don't even mention the service you're offering or the thing you're following up on. But the, are you okay? Are you alive, friend? (laughs) I haven't heard from you in a while. Is everything good? And like, depending on your relationship, it'll change where you ultimately send the check. If you're close, then maybe you text them. If you're not so close, like if you consistently followed them on social before, then I would probably reach out there. If the only form of communication you have is email, that's fine. You can still do these things there. But it has to come from a place of genuine concern. Well, they gets- just checking in. Is it a strategy? Sure. A hundred percent. But, like, you wondering what the hell happened to them needs to be a real feeling. It's real. Right. It. right. We've had to do that. We've also had, and this is one that we're, like,
1: still trying to figure out how to navigate, where the client is still active, but they're just literally not responding to us. And so we're doing the things like watching stories and responding on Instagram or chatting in our personal ways. Like, it's almost like you have a personal persona and a work persona, and they're only wanting to engage with a personal persona. And that to me, it always comes back to, you know, I think some service providers can kind of beat themselves up about like, why aren't they responding? And I want to get started. I want to do this. Like, it is literally never about you ever, ever, ever about you. No, it's
0: not. It's not. And for proof... When I finally dig in and get some kind of response, undoubtedly, especially, especially if they're treating your work person and your personal person as two different people, it's a personal thing that came up for them and they're struggling to share. Is this a personal thing I actually share with you or because it affects my work self decision making? But it's not about work. And so when it's not about work, they just don't know how to respond. And so usually they'll end up breaking down, especially with me. And part of that is just that I'm an empathetic person and I have a you-can-tell-me-anything vibe. I've always carried that with me. But it usually is like word vomit, word vomit, word vomit. And then they're kind of like apologizing for ghosting you over here But at the same time, it's like, I get it. And when that happens, the main thing you have to do, and it's hard because you want to walk the line of being clear that you still want to work with them. But also, you have to play. It's not a play. It is a true thing. You have to show up empathetically. And you have to show up as if you understand them, which is empathy. But the more you can make it feel... It's like showing up with it. Yeah. It is going to make a big difference in the long term of your relationship. Yeah.
1: Always, 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 always. We, you know, ever since we started this business, we were never, ever ones to be like, you know, go like, just put it on a credit card if you can't afford it, or just go ahead and make this decision, even if you don't know, or go ahead and like ever, I would rather you not do it and come back to me in three years when you are ready and more confident. I'd rather have that version of you than the stressed out version of you. So I always support, always support the like doing what is actually right for you right now.
0: For me, it's mainly that I want to close the loop. Like I want to actually know if we're moving forward. One way or the other. And I even if you're not
1: actually saving the spot for them because you have gotten booked out. Like you're still tentative. like, like well, what if they book in two months? Like, how is that going to work with my leads and my client?
0: Like, yeah, you're still, you still it, space you for you them still, in your brain. Exactly. And so you need to hold space and understand, do you need to keep holding space for them in the imminent future? Or, or can we put a pin in it? Yeah. Or are you putting a pin in the conversation and when they come back around, then you can re add them to the thing. But part of it is like, it's giving yourself brain rest more than anything. Like I think so much of it is the mental reorganization of, okay, I have this many spots left and I have this much time left and my capacity is here. And, and you keep thinking, well, if they wait another week and but I just had this pitch meeting and I, I like this new me. right now. Yeah, exactly. This, you're doing gymnastics with yeah. yourself. And yeah. so the follow-up, even if it's awkward sometimes, even if it's weird sometimes, I know for me, if I can get some sort of clear answer, even if it's not the answer I want, I am going to be so much more relieved because here's the thing at the end of the day. And I want you guys to get to the point where you don't get so hung up on every single potential client converting. You can't be worried that, oh, I need this person and no one else is coming in the rear view mirror. For us, as much as it's hard sometimes because you're like, oh, I have this much of a gap and I know I need to fill this and it can feel like a lot. I also can't get to the point where I'm so desperate that this one particular client has to work out honestly, the moment I move on, three come my way. Yep. And it always
1: happens that way. And I know sometimes it's hard to be in that space of abundance. And I know the whole like abundance versus scarcity, especially when booking like is a hot topic. And it's honestly used against us in a lot of ways like, oh, you're thinking of the scarcity mindset and you need to do this over here. And to me, this, everything everything comes back to how you want to show up and serve and actually just be there for other people. And you're not a selling machine. You don't have to be. That's not your role that you need to play here. And we don't have to, even in the nice way of bullying people into making a decision ever go with the space that makes you feel good about it, confident about it, and happy with how you're being kind to that person and holding space for that person. And it literally always comes back in some way.
0: Now, I want to be mindful that the coming back in some way, here's the thing. And it's something I've noticed. Some clients are great at this. Others, I'm like, whoa, like, what are you waiting for? And that's the part that I really want to be clear on is even if I say they're coming in the rear view mirror, they are, they are literally in my periphery. However, it requires action on your part and intention on your part. So if that one doesn't work out, okay, do you have a gap? Do you need to send another email? Do you need to outreach to people? Do you need to go to a connector meeting? Do you, and
1: don't be afraid to set a date to reconvene with the no right now. Like it's not no always. And just be like, amazing. Can I touch base with you? Whatever season is coming up and we'll just chat to see how things are going again, come at it from how can I help you
0: in that space? It might not look the same, That's okay. it, It might not look the same, but the abundance comes from intentionality and from you taking action to move you towards the direction. And so often I see people who are trying to work into an abundant mindset end up, they do a lot of waiting. And I don't think the waiting is serving you guys because, trust me, the being fully booked. And feeling good about it, it is going to give you much more peace of mind than the "I'm feeling abundant" and I am just like attracting and donor. I'm waiting for the leads to come. Stop! To me. Stop! Stop! Like don't do that to yourself. Let it go. Be fully okay with that one client saying no and. Take action in the direction that you need in this season. And how that shows up is different for everybody and very different for how much space you need to fill and at what timeline. And, and part of that is Emily and I have been talking about like not only tracking your metrics, but understanding based on xyz qualities how fast does this close we notice patterns of pricing up to a certain threshold will book at x speed but pricing over a certain threshold we have to expect y speed and so you knowing how big your gap is and how fast you have to fill it gives you a much better understanding of what you need to go after and how you need to get there yeah if you need help with the follow up, if you need help with the sales strategy, we want to talk. You can reach out to us if you go to bossproject.com waitlist, check sales strategy and book a discovery call with me. I would love to chat with how we can improve your follow up, improve your conversions and, and get you booking more consistently at a higher price point.